You're listening to Theology for the Rest of Us. Now, here's your host, Kenny Ortiz. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back. Welcome in. This is Theology for the Rest of Us. I'm your host, Kenny Ortiz, coming at you once again from beautiful Orlando, Florida, just a stone's throw away from the great kingdom known as the Magic Kingdom. Uh, okay, I get it. I'm cheesy, I know. But I live in I live near Disney World in Orlando, so you gotta you gotta talk about it. You gotta get excited, right? Um, anyway, welcome in. Thanks so much for listening. I know I say this uh, quite frequently. Uh, it's because I mean it. Thank you for being a, a regular listener. Thanks for downloading. Thanks for engaging with the podcast. If you are new to the podcast, welcome. Glad to have you. Uh, thank you so much for uh, for listening today. This is episode 224. Man, it's a big number. I can't believe it. It's been a year and a half that I've been doing this, and episode 224. Um, and in just a moment, I'm going to bring you an interview that I had a chance to do with an old friend of mine. Um, actually, someone I went to youth group with back in the 1990s. Um, you know, it's funny for those of you maybe who are who are younger listening to this. You may have friends of yours that you were in youth group, you know, with. You were in a student ministry with them at your local church, and um, and you never know what your friendships might be. But um, you know, I've had a, I've had a, a, a crew of friends of mine from my student ministry days, when I was a, a student in in the student ministry uh, in the Philadelphia area, and then in the '90s, um, and a crew of them that have that are all in vocational ministry and just doing cool stuff all around the all across the country, and I've had a chance to keep in contact with a few of them, mostly through Facebook. Um, and every now and then I've got a chance to connect with them. And so uh, this interview happens to be someone I connected with when I was in high school and remained friends with. And we don't talk often, um, but, uh, but you know, through Facebook and I've been able to kind of keep up with some of the things that, that she is doing, her and her husband, um, or she and her husband, excuse me, were uh, just started a, uh, a kind of a, a, a local nonprofit in their community. A really cool idea, really spurred by by their own love of God and um, a, a a really unique experience. You know, so often um, God will call us to engage in types of ministry. God will call us to to do certain things and to meet certain needs of different people based on our own experiences and things we've learned do those due to those experiences. And Amber has a great story, um, a story that many would say is negative or tragic in some ways, difficult. Um, but Amber and her husband have turned this story uh, into a story of great redemption, and they've started a ministry because of it. I'm, I'm going to let her uh, tell you about it. One quick caveat before we get to the interview. I want to let you know I apologize in advance. The audio quality uh, is not very good. I was having some problems with uh, with my Skype recorder. I've actually had uh, a variety of problems with it recently. Not sure why. Um, but having some issues with it, and we ended up having to do the the interview by phone. I've got a phone recorder app on my iPhone, so we did it using that. Um, the quality is not great. I apologize. I would encourage you to, if you can, push through that and still listen to it, because I think that Amber's story is going to be really uh, beneficial for you. So without further ado, here's the interview. We are on the line today with Amber Maddie who is a longtime friend of mine. Uh, she'll tell you a little bit about herself in a moment. And super glad to have you, Amber. Thank you for joining Theology for the rest of us. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to, to chat with you today. Um, we have had mul- uh, multiple tech issues in the last few moments. So uh, Amber has been very gracious. Thank you for being patient. 
Uh, it's taken me about 28 minutes to get the recording working. So, um, <laughs> thank you. Uh, but glad to have you. And so I mentioned this in the preamble intro a moment ago. Uh, Amber and I went to YouTube together, uh, way back in the 1990s. Um, and then since then, God has taken you on some, uh, cool and crazy adventures. So before we dive in, just give our audience sort of a, give us a 30 second version of who you are, what you're doing, and, and sort of how you ended up to where you are today. Sure. Um, I, like Kenny said, uh, was born and raised outside of Philadelphia. Um, went down to um, Central Florida for school and met my husband there. Um, we spent the better part of the last um, 13 to 14 years in student ministry in various locations from Philadelphia to um, Northeast Florida and um, parts of Central and Western Pennsylvania as well. Um, we have three amazing kiddos. Hannah is 11, Isaac is 7, and Luca is coming up on his second birthday. Um, I originally had received my degree in elementary education and spent some time um, in both private and public schools teaching anywhere from fifth grade down to kindergarten. Um, my heart Landed in kindergarten, kind of knew that from the beginning, um, but also love hanging out with those middle school kids in student ministry. So that's been a really um, neat perspective to bring into student ministry and just see the differences between kids, you know, when they're focused on their schooling and then also just outside of school and, and pursuing um, just life int- interests as well. Um, we have... Just had a wide variety of experiences in churches, anywhere from small church plants um, all the way up to larger churches um, in, in multi-site churches as well. So just really blessed with um, what God has presented before us to be able to serve um, the generations coming behind us. Love that. Love that. And so you guys um, now are in uh, North Carolina, correct? Yes, we are. We've been here for about uh, a little over two years now and enjoying the um, kind of the compromise between the seasons of the north and the warmth of the south. So it's nice. been um, a nice experience for us. <laughs> um, so I'm uh, really excited to have our people hear about what you're doing. So tell us, kind of you know, unpack for us the, the, the journey. You've been on this incredible journey uh, for the last, you know, for the last several years, uh, tell us about kind of what's been going on and, and kind of and, and, and the, th- the things that God has been teaching you. Sure. Um, about eight years ago, um, my son Isaac um, was born, and um, we had our daughter Hannah, um, and she was a happy, healthy little girl. She was almost four when her brother was born and um, really had just been enjoying what I would call normal parenthood, you know, no child is exactly the same, but, you know, really just an average experience with parenting. Um, When Isaac came along, we were in a moment's notice thrown into um, parenting a child with um, high-risk medical conditions. Uh, We were unaware um, at the time of when we found out we were pregnant, that I had not received a very important shot after my daughter was born. And as a result, Isaac was born um, with a condition 
that caused him to be severely anemic and um, jaundice. Um, and that was coupled also with some other issues um, that really kind of complicated his situation. Um, and for the next, I would say, three years of his life, we learned um, how blessed we had been with with Hannah's um, health. Um, we didn't ever think about with Hannah, um, you know, going to the doctors or or her being sick. She was just super healthy. But with Isaac, we um, just learned a whole new level of trusting God um, with the the day to day. We spent a good portion of three years in doctors' offices and um, hospitals dealing with um, breathing issues and infections and just things that we had never even imagined would be a part of our story. Um, once he got to about the age of five, we got to a, a really healthy place with him and had really thought that we were not going to pursue having any more children. But um, God had a different plan for us, and um, in the fall of 2014, we found out we were expecting our youngest son, Luca. Um, immediately, um, we were told by the doctors um, how dangerous the pregnancy was, how um, they weren't sure if Luca would make it, um, and just giving us pretty much a lot of um, negative reports as to, you know, what could possibly happen um, with with our pregnancy with him and just to prepare ourselves that he might not actually be with us very long um, once he was born. Thankfully, by the grace of God, um, he defied all odds and um, we were able to get him to a 35-week gestation before he was born. Um, he tried to come a couple times before that. And... Um, once we got there, we really thought that we were at a good place, that he was just going to come home and everything was pretty much over after that. Um, unfortunately, that wasn't the case. We spent um, about a month in the hospital after that. Um, and over the course of our time there with Luca and our time with Isaac, that just started stirring in my heart um, this desire, this passion for reaching out to other families in the hospital. Um, our boys were really sick. They had a lot to to deal with. But in comparison to the other children that we were meeting, the other families that we were meeting while we were in the hospital, um, their conditions, despite how challenging they were for us, were nothing in comparison to these other kiddos. Um, we knew that our boys... Once they were born, they were in good hands, um, that they would eventually survive after birth, um, but that it would just be a long journey. But a lot of the kids that we were meeting, that was not something that their parents knew for a fact. You know, they were fighting for their, their life, um, and tomorrow was not promised. And God just began to birth in my heart this this desire to, to love on them and to um, to show his compassion practically. Um, so often in our situation, um, there are a lot of well-meaning people um, who would spout different Bible verses in an effort to be encouraging. Um, but that practical desire to, to reach out um, wasn't always 
something that they followed through on. Uh, we were blessed. We had, you know, a few key people with Isaac and then, of course, my family um, with Luca was close by. Um, but God just started to talk to me about how, as the church, we need to to meet needs and that um, we needed to be his hands and feet to families who were struggling and who were um, just at a place where they were desperate for mm. um, his love and his compassion. And I, I, I came to know a peace and a, um, and a comfort um, during that time of just having to rely on him. And just the desire to be able to share that with people who may not know him, and even if they do know him, um, may be questioning his goodness in the midst of these difficult circumstances. Um, so that's kind of the journey I've been on over the last eight years, um, just that that need to rely on him, but then also being able to, to take that um, that desire to lean on him and to be able to the support for others who are in similar situations. Wow, that is. Uh, Amber, thanks for sharing. Uh, you, you said several things that I want to sort of hit on for a moment because uh, I think they're really, really valuable. But the first thing you said was um, you, you mentioned uh, the idea that, you know, what where we were or you know, the things we were dealing with, that are, the illnesses that our boys had versus what we saw uh, seemingly – uh, you, you use the term, you know, seemingly felt like it was nothing in comparison to what, um, I, I think I've had conversations with people, uh, multiple times where people have said, you know, I'm dealing with this, I'm dealing with this, and, and often my response has been, uh, sometimes I feel like people, uh, for, uh, for a lack of better terms, I feel like some of my friends complain about things that aren't that big a deal, um, mm-hmm. and, and, and they often don't look beyond that. Um, have you kind of had a similar, have you seen that? Like, have you felt any, over the course of your time, you know, parents complaining about things that you look at and go, oh my gosh, that, that experience is, is, is nothing compared to what I'm dealing with. And have you found yourself being bitter or frustrated with that at all? You know, it's interesting that you say that because I, I think the perspective that I would take on it is more I've seen in myself times where I've complained and after these experiences, I've been very disappointed in my, my character. Um, I feel like um, I was just the other day, God was speaking to my heart. I was, you know, grumbling about all the messes that I had to clean up and, you know, we had just gotten home from vacation and I had a ton of laundry to do and errands to run and, and God stopped me for a moment. He's like, Amber, you have a house to clean, which means that your family has shelter. You have laundry that needs to be done. And while it's a ton and it's, it takes a long time, your children have clothing to wear. And while you need to go to the grocery store with a streaming toddler, your family will have food to eat. And, you know, you were in a place not too long ago where you didn't know that your son was going to make it or not. And just thinking about that, you know, it gives a whole new perspective. I think um, we as Americans too often take for granted what so many other people are wishing for. 
Right. And, um, you know, it just, it's been humbling for me. That's really good. Really, really good. Uh, it's, it's so true that I feel like that, that is my norm, um, where God teaches me something. And then a short time later, I find myself saying something or doing something that I go, what, what am I doing? I've, this is a lesson I've already learned. I shouldn't be complaining about this. Um, this yeah. thing, I, so that's really good. The other thing you said that I thought was really kind of interesting, and I want I'd love to get, if you're willing to, to, I, I like to challenge Christianese and typical Christian culture. Um, on the podcast often, people who listen to the podcast know. Um, and mm-hmm. you mentioned, you mentioned the idea that people were spout, you, you said spouting verses, and they were trying to be encouraging, mm-hmm. um, but, but, but it, you, you, the, I got the sense that it felt empty. Can you, can you elaborate on that idea a little bit? Sure. Um, well, I mean, I think in the church, and I grew up in the church, so, you know, I think for those people who have had that similar experience, you're used to the culture where we think that just saying a verse is going to fix everything. And when you're dealing with tragic circumstances, um, whether that be an illness, whether that be a job loss, whether that be the loss of a family or a friend, um, those verses, while encouraging to a point, when not lived out with action, just at times feel very empty, um, feel like a Band-Aid. And oftentimes I feel like, and I'm, and I'm guilty of it 100%, um, are, are a way for us as Christians to kind of put our hands out and distance ourselves from from the circumstance and just say, don't worry, it's going to be okay. And we all know that God does work everything to the, for the good of those who, who love him. But you know what? Sometimes it doesn't feel good in yeah. the moment. Um, and, and sometimes um, I feel like as Christians, the best thing we can do is to wrap our arms around another person who's hurting and say, I'm sorry that you're hurting, and I wish I could fix it. How can I help you today to, to lighten your load? Um, for us, uh, with Luca, we had my parents, and they were such an amazing example of that. Um, I didn't really go into depth with it, but when we moved down here um, to be closer to the doctors, my husband left his job. We sold our house, um, and we we lived with my parents for 10 months. And they were so amazing in, in showing God's love and affection without asking for anything in return. They watched our kids. Um, they cooked the entire time. Um, they would drive them back and forth to the hospital so they could see us. Um, and that, to me, speaks volumes um, above just quoting a verse, you know, mm-hmm. just just saying, you know, it's going to be okay. Um, one phrase that, that I've grown to really, really, I don't want to say despise, that's a very strong word, but does not care for in the church is the phrase, um, God won't give you more than you can handle. 
that's really not even the Bible. Um, <laughs> but people like to say it a lot. And honestly, right. after the experiences that we've had, I actually believe God will, will allow us to experience more than we can handle so that he can prove his strength through Christ and he can point us back to the church because there is no way I could have survived the emotional roller coaster that we went through with our boys without Christ, without his strength. There's no way I could have walked out the other side um, without addiction, without um, tremendous amounts of anger and and just a lot of families in the NICU, there's there's like a 95% divorce rate for families who have children in the NICU. And wow. my husband and I are not a part of that. Um, and the only way that could have happened is through the strength and the love of Christ. Um, so um, for me, um, just wrapping that all up with a bow is just saying, you know, so many times it's easy just to quote a verse, but unless you're willing to back that up with action, it's almost better not to quote the verse because I feel like it does not show the love that God meant when he spoke those verses into existence. Mm. Come on. I, um, <laughs> I love, love, love that. I, I, I think, um, you know, recently I saw an article that went viral on Facebook, uh, social media. That, you know, there was an article about you know, things Christians should stop saying. I think it was a relevant magazine article, and I think the number okay. one thing on there was Christians should stop saying God won't give you anything you can handle or can't handle. Uh, again, because it's not a biblical idea. Uh-huh. But um, but I love I love the, the the idea of going. Hey, th- this was hard. This this was this was crappy, um, but. Because of uh, because of our understanding of the gospel, because of who Christ is, we are not going to be a part of those statistics. And you, you started to kind of uh, allude to the sort of the peace you found. You said this earlier as well, but sort of two different times you've already said this today. This idea of kind of finding an, an, an inner strength and peace because of the gospel, because of who God is in mm-hmm. life. So t- tell us a little bit about when you say I found a peace in God, or there was a peace because of because of our relationship with God. Tell us, can you describe that at all? Can you articulate what that sure. was like? Um, the only best way that I can describe it is when you have nothing left to hold on to, and the only thing that you can hold on to is is God. Um, it, there's this amazing peace that just would flood over me. I remember when we would go to our doctor's appointments with Luca, we would go on a weekly basis to see the doctor. We'd have this 45-minute car ride there and back, um, and we would have an ultrasound every time, and every time we would go in there, we were going in there with the knowledge of Luca's levels may be at a place where he may have to be delivered today. Wow. Um, and... That was a very terrifying place to be, especially since these visits started um, at 16 weeks gestation. Um, so for those of you in the audience that aren't familiar with pregnancy, a baby is generally not viable or able to be saved until 22 weeks. That's the earliest that they generally are able to right. resuscitate and and, and even at even at twenty weeks, it's pretty. It's still a pretty risky. It's birth it's, it's pretty risky. Yes, yeah. it, it's pretty risky. Our doctors um, told us if we can get you to twenty eight weeks, 
there's a good chance that he will survive. Not a great chance, a good chance. So um, during those those long 45-minute drives, um, I had a group of women that would um, pray for me. I would send them an update that we were leaving for the hospital, and they would pray for me the entire time. Um, and then at the end of the appointment, I would update them as to where we were. And um, I can tell you that those drives would start out with such fear, getting ready in the morning, knowing what I was facing. Um, and then we would get in the car, and I would send that update. And almost immediately, these women would start praying. And um, it was almost like I could feel the presence of God come over me. And it was a piece that I couldn't explain. There were a lot of times I would say to John, John, I don't understand how I'm so calm right now. I don't understand how I'm walking through this right now. Because if you ask my husband, I'm a pretty emotional person. Um, I wear my emotions on my sleeve. And so for me to be able to, to just walk in the knowledge of the truth of, of God's word and filling myself with his word and speaking it over and over and over again. Um, I'm more than a conqueror. Um, By his stripes, my child will be healed. Um, All of those verses would just flood into my brain. And they were verses that, you know, I memorized years and years before when we were in youth group or before even when I was a child. And God would just bring them back. And and just the supernatural peace would just come over me. And honestly, I had more peace during that time of my life than I have in the normal everyday now. It's so funny. Now that I, there are things that I, I can control that I, now that we are in our own home again, my husband has a good job and our children are healthy. It's almost like there's, I'm grabbing at things that I think that I can control instead of holding on to God 100% of every second of the day. And that peace, and until I change my focus and put it back on God, that peace kind of starts to erode. But the second I turn my eyes on Christ and I, and I stop focusing on the things that I think that I can do on my own, it returns. So it, it's just this amazing, unexplainable and I don't want to be hokey because you know I don't I don't like that but it's it's just true like my my whole countenance would change um and and my whole thought process would change and I was able to speak even to other people about our situation and and they would be so concerned and 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 wrought with fear and I'd be able to speak truth about peace into them and they're like how can you do that right now I'm like I don't know because that's not my nature but I can say that my God has made these promises to me and I'm going to hold on to them um so it was a really really neat experience for me um definitely learned a lot during that time oh man that's that's so fantastic I, I love 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 hearing uh, just how the peace of God that transcends understanding, as as Paul wrote, and then later in, in Romans, mm-hmm. you know, the, the peace of God that crushes Satan underneath of our feet. Just some great, great mm-hmm. truth. Okay, so you said something else that I wrote down that I I got to get you to touch touch on. You don't have to speak as long on this one if you don't want to. Um, but just the idea you, you mentioned that there were moments where uh, where you realized it'd be so easy to question God's goodness. Um, but mm-hmm. where there were moments where that, where that idea 
what you were saying, because, because you knew who God was, you never questioned his goodness. I know that so many people uh, in these moments when they face tragedy question the goodness of God. In fact, it's probably the number one thing whenever I talk to atheists. Um, it, it's always the it's always the well. If God is good, why why this? Why is God a moral monster? Why does He allow evil? Why you know it, it, the, the, the wicked or terrible things that people face often becomes the number one thing that drives people to question the goodness of God, and then maybe even question His existence altogether. Uh, why did that not happen for you? You know, and I, I know I know you're going to say, Hey, I'm not special. It's not me. It's all the Holy Spirit. Help us understand why or how is it that your relationship with God led you to not question his goodness? Um, there's a couple things that I, I could touch on. Um, the first being I have to ask why not? Why wouldn't I experience bad things in the world? Because, I, you know, there, there's evil all around me. And in God's word, even Paul and Silas and, I mean, every single one of of Jesus' disciples um, experienced horrible, horrible things um, as a result of their faith. And so, you know, uh, why would I be exempt from that? So that's the first truth. I mean, I I think growing up, even our our youth pastor, Rob Pierce, um, taught us that, you know, when we were growing up, don't expect because you claim to be a follower of Christ that you're going to um, be exempt from from pain. We live in a world where where unfortunately sin is here, and as a result of sin, there is sickness and there is hurt, and and people make decisions that affect us um, negatively. Mm-hmm. So that's the knowledge side of it. Um, the more practical side of it for me, um, I I did not have um, a perfect, easy life growing up as a teenager from the outside looking in a lot of people may have thought that we had it all together but at the age of 13 my mom was diagnosed with breast cancer for the first time um she was diagnosed a couple other times after that and then we experienced a very turbulent um custody battle with my youngest sister who was adopted um and during those years we we experienced horrible tragedy where, you know, we didn't know if my mom was going to survive and we didn't know what was going to happen with our youngest sister and just emotional ups and downs. And through each of those experiences, I saw God's faithfulness. I saw miracles happen. I saw my mom healed of cancer the, the third time. And, and, and I saw him um, work through people who didn't even believe in God um, to be a blessing to our family. And I had to rely on that um, and what I had seen um, and, and say, you know, whether this turns out the way I want it to or not, it does not change the goodness of my God and it does not change the love of my God for me. Um, even if, even if my son does not survive, he is still good. And he will use it for his glory. And that was a really hard truth. I mean, I'm not going to say it was easy. Um, there were moments, there were definitely moments where I was like, God, why, why is this happening? But you know what? I believe our God is big enough to handle those questions. Um, I believe it doesn't, he doesn't get mad at us when we say, God, why are you allowing this? 
in fact, I think that he welcomes it because I think when we when we don't ask the question, that's when bitterness starts to um, begin to grow in our heart. But when we're open and we're honest and we say, God, this hurts and this does not seem fair, that's the moment where he's able to, to speak to our heart and speak his love and send people to encourage us. I can't tell you how many times there's one moment that I will never forget a year and a half ago, when, um, shortly after Luca was born, I was home just for a couple hours to do some laundry and and to see my two older children before I went back to the hospital. And I remember just collapsing into her arms because I had more than I could handle and I didn't know how I was going to make it through the situation, and my mom began to speak the truth of God's word into my heart, and no weapon formed against me will prosper, and and just speaking all the love of God into me, and and it was at those moments that I was like, okay, God is here. He, He is taking care of these situations, and you know what? He brought us here to this to this place so that my son could have the best doctors in the world. I mean, the the doctor that cared for my son was the number one in his field in the world. And there's no way that I could have orchestrated that. So being able to see God's hand, even in the midst of that difficult situation, was key for me to be able to to be able to see his goodness, um, good. even when it didn't feel good. So, so good. Uh, God is good in all he does. He doesn't always feel like it. doesn't always seem like it. But he knows better than us. And, and if we are facing tragedy, calamity, frustration, whatever, we know that he is still good in the midst of that. And we can trust him in that. What a, what a great mm-hmm. lesson that you have lived out, Amber. I love it, love it, love it. Okay, so I want to just, I want to get to what you're doing. I'd love for people to hear about, uh, this thing you started closely held. So tell us about, um, Tell us about, uh, you know, Closely Held, wh- what you did, and, and why you did it. Sure. Um, about six months after um, Luca was born, um, God started to once again stir in my heart to want to reach out to the families that were still at the children's hospitals. Um, the short of it is we received some of the best medical care with both of our boys. Our doctors were amazing. Our nurses were amazing. Um, but the practical needs that a family faces when they have a child with um, severe illness that is going to be in long-term care um, just were not addressed with us. Um, the words that we were we were given by the hospital after the fact was our family did not present as needy because we were educated, um, we were we were clean, um, and we could speak intelligently. Um, so we were never referred to a social worker. Um, there are tons of resources for families for lodging, for travel, to help with travel expenses, to help with food expenses while you're at the hospital. Um, but those resources weren't communicated to us. And so we were left um, with huge bills for parking and for um, we went from making all of our meals at home to having eat three meals a day at the hospital. And um, we lived five months five miles too close to the hospital to qualify for Ronald McDonald house. So I was sleeping in chairs um, by his bed instead of um, 
having a bed to sleep in. And so all of those resources that could have helped us, um, that could have made a ridiculously stressful situation a little bit easier, um, we did not know about. So um, after a lot of prayer, I decided to start reaching out to volunteer, which is what I thought was going to happen, and um, ran into a doctor at UNC Children's Hospital and shared my heart with him, and he was blown away by an idea I had about putting together a resource page on the hospital's website that would bring all of the resources available to families into one location, um, and that we would advertise this this resource page at admission on the televisions in the hospital, both in the room and in the waiting rooms, um, so that families could know that there's help, um, so that families could know that there are there's a support system for them. Um, in addition, um, I really God put on my heart to to begin to raise funds to create what we're calling our hug gifts. And a hug gift is a comfort item along with a gift card for food for the first 24 hours of their stay, um, reduced parking, and we hope to eventually include gas cards to help families who are traveling back and forth on a regular basis. Um, and that resource would be um, an avenue to advertise, once again, this resource page, um, cover their needs for that first 24 hours, and then provide them a way to to find resources that would extend beyond that. Um, so closely held is is basically the idea of holding families close during this very difficult time and supporting them in a very practical way. So, so how many how can someone help you? Like, I mean, this is first of all, this is awesome. Um, I, I love the idea of saying, hey, let's let's fill the gap because as, as you said. There's going to be – there are lots of organizations already doing great stuff. Um, there's, there's some government programs that, that, that could be helpful, but there is this huge mm-hmm. segment of people that, that can't be helped, um, and you, sure. fell, you fell into that category. You, you, yeah. you kind of fell into that gap, and you weren't able to be, be helped in that moment, um, and there were things you guys needed. So there's probably – you know, my, my guess are thousands of families across the country mm-hmm. that fall into that category. Um, so mm-hmm. can, before we talk about how people can help, Tell us what, why should we as Christians, why should we want to help? Why should we care in this moment? Give us the kind of a, give us kind of the theology behind it, so to speak. Um, so the first thing that always comes to my, to my mind is um, when Jesus said the 5,000, he recognized that we as humans have practical needs that need to be filled before we can accept spiritual truth. And Families who are in this this position of having medically fragile children are in that place. They have practical needs that need to be filled so that their hearts can be open to the love of Christ. And so it is it is my desire to be a part of that filling of that practical need so that organizations and churches that are already there at the hospital, already reaching out, have have families that are open to hear about the love of Christ. Um, I really believe God calls us to be the hands and feet of Christ. And and that means doing, like we spoke of earlier. It means um, finding finding a need and filling it. And, mm-hmm. and this, is, this is the way God has spoken my heart to be able to do that and to reach out to others who have the means 
to to do the same. I love it. Love it. Love it. Um, so this is a practical way to demonstrate the, the love of God and to, to be a ministry to people when they are in moments where they are feeling alone or empty or maybe lacking the, the peace that you talked about earlier. Maybe they're questioning the goodness of God. This is a great tangible way to be there in the midst for them in that moment, which is absolutely fantastic. So the average person listening to this, how can they help you? What can they do? There are several different ways that you can help. The first way, obviously, we ask for prayers. Um, our resource pages are developed. I, I pull all the content together, but I rely on the hospital's uh, webmaster to create the site. So it is definitely a walk of faith, um, being able to to communicate this need um, to the hospital in a way that they want to get on board and commit their time and their their staff time to creating it is huge. So prayer is number one. Um, number two, um, we are brand new getting off the ground, and so we are looking for families and, and churches that are wanting to come on board to, um, number one, help either with donating blankets for the comfort items in the hub gifts, um, or two, um, providing donations. Each hug will cost $50 um, per family, and our goal is to provide a hug for each family who enters the hospital. Um, so that roughly in order to serve the families at UNC Children's Hospital, where we currently are at, costs about $125,000 for one year. Um, we are starting out small, and we are going to start with the NICU um, and then branch off hopefully a new unit every year from from there. So currently we're looking for roughly $45,000 to support each family for a year um, or each of our families over the course of a year, excuse me, um, with a, a hub guest. Love it, love it, love it. So I want to encourage everyone out there uh, to, to reach out to Amber and closely help and see what you can do. If, Amber, if anyone wants to reach out to you or if they want to Follow, what's the best way for them to get in contact with you or maybe to make a donation? Sure. We are on Facebook. You can find Closely Held on Facebook. Um, we are currently working on setting up a GoFundMe account um, in the near future. If they want to contact me now, just send me a message through Closely Held, and I can communicate to them how they can do that more effectively. And I will make sure we have a link to the Facebook page in the show notes. So if anyone listening to this missed that, you can – Head over to our website, theologyfortherestofus.com. Look at the interview for Amber, Maddie, and we will have the link to that in the show notes there. Uh, Amber, my old friend from way back in the 1990s, uh, from, from this thing we call Cross-Color Jam. Uh, little, uh, it was so fun catching up with you. More importantly, so fun to hear about what God has done in your life, what he's doing in your life, you and your husband, and, and the cool response that you have had to now demonstrate the same love uh, toward other people. Uh, so, so cool. Thank you so much for taking time with us today. Thank you for having me. I've, I've enjoyed our time. 
And there you have it, my interview with my old friend Amber Maddie. She used to be Amber Monty, just two letters different now, Amber Maddie. Um, but super cool to catch up with her and just to hear what God's doing. I want to encourage you to check out the Facebook page. Uh, if you have the resources to maybe invest financially, that would be great. But make sure you check it out and see what Amber's up to. Uh, if you don't know how to find it, you can look, go to the show notes for this episode on our website. Head over to theologyfortherestofus.com. Look at the show notes for episode 224. There'll be a link there to take you right over to the Facebook Facebook page where you can get more info about Amber and what she's up to. I encourage you to check that out. I also want to encourage everyone out there to really consider what are some of the scenarios in my life that I've gone through, some of the difficult moments, maybe some of the painful moments, and how might God want to use me to, to start something and to birth something? How do I turn my pain into purpose? How do I allow my, how, how do I allow my story to become a story of great redemption? Uh, Amber's done it. Lots of people I know have done it. And you can certainly do it as well. I want to encourage you to turn your pain into purpose in whatever way God is calling you to do. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of the podcast. Hope it has been encouraging and insightful. If you have a question or a topic that you want me to address in a future episode of the podcast, I'd love to hear from you. Shoot me an email or tweet at me. I love Twitter. You can find me there. Or if you happen to know someone that you think would be a great interview guest, I'd also love to hear from you. Let me know so that I can interview that person. The best way to reach me is by email at heyortiz at theologyfortherestofus.com. That's H-E-Y-O-R-T-I-Z at TheologyForTheRestOfUs.com. Or on Twitter, my handle is at Kenneth Ortiz. That's K-E-N-N-E-T-H-O-R-T-I-Z. Hey, if you want to make sure that every episode of the podcast gets delivered directly to your device as soon as they go live, make sure you subscribe in the Apple uh, Podcast Player or in whatever your favorite podcast player happens to be. And if you love the podcast, do us a huge favor. Can you head on over to Apple Podcast Player and leave us a five-star rating and a great review? Those reviews are a big, big help to the show because they help us reach more people. Thanks again for listening. I'm Kenny Ortiz, and this has been Theology for the Rest of Us.